Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, folks. I would like to introduce myself. My name is Pyle, and I am a traveler who also loves to meet people. And I think a blend of both is where this concept of melting pot has come about. In my melting pot series, I will be talking to lots of inspiring people from different parts of the world and also from different cultures, whom I meet during all my travels. The common factor between these folks will be the desire to follow their passion and make it a way of life. So step into this melting pot and enjoy the chats. Hi listeners, welcome to another episode of Melting Pot, a series of conversations with very diverse and passionate people from across the globe. My guest today is Sunena Bhalla. Sunena is a contemporary artist. Uh, she's based in Singapore. Sunena's formal education has been as a textile designer. She's specializing in print, but she has immersed herself completely in a traditional Japanese art form, which I will leave Sunena to talk to you about. Hi, Sunena. Thank you for being a part of Melting Pot. Thanks so much for inviting me, Payal. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so before we sort of start talking about how you got into this whole Japanese traditional art form, I'd love to hear a little bit about you, and I'm sure my listeners would be curious as well. So where, uh, you're originally from India? Yeah, well I was born in Bombay but brought up in Delhi, so I've lived in Delhi all my life, well at least growing years. I studied there and I graduated from the Polytechnique with textile design over there and very typically had no plans of anything really in life at that time. And uh, so I finished my uh, studies and then I worked with Satya Paul Saris as a designer for and about a year. For those who don't know who Satya Paul is, mm. Satya Paul is a very, very famous mm. very and, well -known a, sari and a well-known sari designer yeah, yeah. in India. Yeah. yeah, in fact, he's still one of the pioneers of print design, that, okay. uh, yeah, hmm. which I think is... I love his designs even now. Hmm. But yeah, anyway, so after I, I studied, I worked with him for a year. And then I got married, moved to Bangalore. And when I moved to Bangalore, there was no real... I didn't want to do a job as such. So I freelanced. I did a lot of hand painting on saris and block printing on suits. So I kind of tied up with all the, you know, the Mysore Sari Adyog in uh, Bangalore, plus a couple of other, quite a few actually, sari makers in Bangalore. So I did that for a couple of years. And then my husband actually got transferred to Tokyo. And Tokyo, well, he was supposed to go there for three months. And those three months kind of just kept extending into seven years. Wow. So there was no plan, really. I was supposed to go on a nice three-month vacation. And I ended up 
saying, what the hell am I doing in, in Tokyo? And that's when I actually get, got around to looking around to see if I could study or learn something new because I couldn't get a job as a designer. I couldn't speak the language and it was not an easy place in those days. We're talking the late 90s. So it was just such an amazing place to live in. I was just enjoying myself. And then I had a baby. But during that whole time, uh, I mean, I can't sit still. So I had to figure out what to do. So I looked around for teachers who would speak in English, who would teach me. So I did this short six-month stint with a, with a textile designer, a Japanese textile designer, who spoke very basic English. But she taught me some very interesting relief printing processes with, with rice paste and things like that, which was a brand new thing for me to learn. And I learned how to use these pigments and everything. And even today, if you ask me the name of those pigments, I can only tell you the Japanese names. I really don't know what there was in English. So I learned that for six months. And then I decided I wanted to do something more because there was only so much that she could communicate with me. It was a bit frustrating. And so then I found this teacher who spoke very good English, who taught Nihonga, which is traditional Japanese painting. It's very okay. much like... I would equate it to something like an Indian miniature style, so very detailed. And of course, the ink painting, which is a very, very difficult thing to learn. It's very difficult. So so the way she taught was that I started learning with her like on an ad hoc basis once a week, then it became twice a week, then it became thrice a week. And so Nihonga, the way she taught me was, was the first 10 to 12 months, she only taught me ink painting with one paintbrush, which was a thick one inch paintbrush, round paintbrush and she wouldn't let me graduate to colour till I had at least done the basics in Sumie painting. Sumie is ink, ink painting. So I did that for a year and then I graduated to colour and uh, yeah so that's when I really converted from being a designer to an artist and a painter and that just kind of continued to kind of reinventing what I was doing. So from design to painting to then coming to Singapore and doing a totally different kind of painting to what I'm doing now, which is which is totally conceptual, very different to anything that is... But are you still using the traditional Japanese art form? I, I mean, are you still applying that in what you're doing today? So, you know, I've been told that my work has a kind of an echo of Japanese aesthetics. Okay. Just the kind of color palette, the quietness, the minimalism, that kind of a thing is evident in my work. But it's not a very conscious thing that I do anymore. I don't do Nihonga anymore because I don't paint. So, I mean, Nihonga itself is a traditional painting, painting form. form, right. But I don't paint at all anymore. What is it that you're doing now which is different? So I'll have to give you a little bit of a background of actually yeah. the way it's happened is that when I moved here in 2003 to Singapore, the art scene over here was very quiet. There weren't that many galleries and I had been showing my work in galleries in India. I mean, it was a it was a challenge because going from Tokyo to India to mount a show and you know try and communicate in those days where email had just begun. Again, I'm talking about 2020 years ago. It was difficult, and I had a child at that time, and all of those things also. You know, the logistics were difficult. So when I came here to Singapore, it was like I had a better audience. First of all, an English-speaking audience with a lot more Indians. So sorry, before you continue, mm -hmm. did you? in those seven years managed to learn Japanese? Yeah, I speak, uh, I used to speak much more than I do now, but I, I spoke passable Japanese. I can't okay. read or write, but yeah, yeah I, could, I could communicate pretty well at that time. Yeah, so yeah, I learned that. 
Okay. So sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Okay. So you were saying. Yeah. So um, so when I came here again, the painting kind of morphed into something with much more Indian sensibilities. My cultural ideologies came to the fore because in traditional Nihonga there is a very strict rule to follow. There is a color palette. There is a style. There is uh, even the subject matter is is very very traditional. And my sensei, my teacher, was quite particular about those things so even if I wanted to for example use something like an orange she would be like hmm in the color palette that I used to use which is gouache paints we didn't have an orange Mm -hmm. so it was not even an uh, option so So were they mainly muted colors yeah very Hmm. muted it was Hmm. like ochres and uh, very muted greens and of course black ink and those kind of colors and, and shades of thereof right so when I came here again, it was like being freed, right? You don't have anybody overlooking, you can do whatever you want. And I felt like a great deal of freedom in creating. So I did a lot with paperworks. Then I went on to canvas painting. I had a couple of shows at that time. But at that time, the art scene in Singapore was very, very small. And of course, no Indian art whatsoever. So I had a hard time trying to find places to show my work. So then I started collaborating with galleries in India and over there which was much more successful. And then in 2009, I think, my daughter was three years old and she got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. That kind of changed my life to a great degree because I had a three and a half year old with diabetes and I was injecting her every day, 10 to 12 blood tests a day, a lot of management happened. And so I had to, again, reinvent what I was doing. And I took a little bit of a break from exhibitions really but I I still kept creating work as and when I could. So basically for the past 10 years in my personal life there's been a lot to deal with health wise and uh, five years ago I got diagnosed with breast cancer and the one thing the first thing that the doctor told me was that I can't paint anymore because acrylic paints. Because of the smell. Yeah yeah, well I never used oils I always used acrylic paints but acrylic paints are also carcinogenic and uh, she was like no they go through your fingernail, fingers. If you've got paint on your hands, it can go through your skin. So no painting. So I think that was probably the lowest point in my life when I was like, okay, if I don't paint, what do I do? And I had been um, thinking about going and doing my master's in fine arts because as a designer, the sensibilities are very different. So there is a very, very distinct line between a designer and an artist. Even though both are creative fields, in a, design, in a designing mode, you're, you're finding a solution. So there are parameters, you have a print parameter, there is a size to a screen print, there is a size that you're printing on, you know, so you have to work within that space. But as an artist, there is a freedom and there is a thought process which becomes more important. So when I talk about conceptual art, the concept is so much more important than the outcome. Yeah. So, so that was, that was, and I felt like there was something missing in my practice at that time. I was getting stuck. I was doing a lot of things like symbolism in my work, a lot of very direct concepts that I was dealing with in my work. So there was a lot of figurative work. There was a lot of flora, fauna, human figures, that kind of stuff. And I was finding that there was something missing there. So when I got cancer, I was like, okay, I can't paint anymore. So I need to reinvent anyway. I need to take a break anyway. So I did my master's from La Salle College and Goldsmiths University. So I got, uh, it was a one and a half year full-time program. And I graduated in 2017. And uh, that actually totally changed uh, my material, my outlook, my whole concept of what I was doing. 
and it's still evolving. I mean, I think that it's made a huge difference to my practice. And I was very lucky to get some really good supervisors who kind of taught me how to think differently about what I'm doing. So yeah, and that's where I am now, where I'm using, I started using wax, whole spices, herbs, sugar, material fabric, embroidery. I started using, I actually started collecting the used blood test strips and uh, needles from my daughter's care regime, which is what I use now in my work. I've done some work with actual blood test strips and molly thread and I've embedded spices into wax and I've created installation work which is something the 3D effect was something I never did before yeah so yeah so that's how it's kind of developed is evolving you're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me Payo on this very unique and special podcast series Melting Pot it's obviously not on canvas no. any longer. Yeah. No. Yeah. So like I said, it's 2D, 3D. You're in my studio right now. So you can yeah. see I've done these installations for... I've got a show coming up next week. My first solo in Singapore, actually. And it's actually based on uh, breast cancer. And this is the Breast Cancer Awareness Month, October. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm actually doing something very personal. And I think it came about during the lockdown. It was like I, I had no access to new materials, as in actual materials. Yeah. And so yeah. I dug into my studio reserves, so to speak. Yeah. And I'm a hoarder, so I collect all sorts of nonsense, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's because like you were, feel like I, maybe I can yeah. use it for something or the other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I'm a hoarder like crazy. I mean, I've got pieces of wood and I've got matchsticks and I've got paper and fabric and blah, blah, blah. So fortunately, in January, I was in Delhi and I had picked up this whole lot of handmade paper. And so I'm very nervous about using paper in Singapore because of the weather, weather. and the mid yeah. mildew. So, yeah. Yeah. so the stuff that I had actually got from Japan, I had got a whole lot of Japanese paper and everything. Everything got mildew within the first six months and I had to throw away a lot. So that's why I was more comfortable working on canvas and things like that. So this handmade paper that I brought from Delhi this time, I was looking at it and I was like, okay, I can do some stuff on it. And and on a side note, I mean, I forgot to tell you that I've been doing block printing as well. Okay. So block printing, I was doing for 25 years because that's what I trained in. But I have been using blocks on canvas for a while as well. I create my own designs and I get the block maker to carve them for me. So in the past six, seven years, I've been working exclusively with this one block maker in Delhi whose grandfather had an atelier in the East India Company 150 years ago. So the, he comes from a long lineage of block carvers. His father has received four national awards for his block carving. And this guy trained himself to be an engineer because in India, the block making is now... It's, it's, it's a dying sort Exactly. Of yeah, so he, yeah. he has been working with the Skari Hat Samiti and that's how I found him actually, through the Hat Samiti. And I've been working with him and he So what is, is the Heart Samiti? The Dastkari Heart Samiti. Oh, Dastkari yeah. Heart Samiti. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. So I've been working with this guy for the past six, seven years. I keep uh, sending him uh, my block designs and he creates them for me and he sends them back to me. And I have been, I'm actually also in the process of writing a book about him and his, uh, his work and in collaboration with what I'm doing. So yeah, during this lockdown, I looked at, I've got over 250 uh, blocks, which are, most of them are my designs, some of them are his designs, which I use. And I run these block printing workshops across 
I've done so many in the past year or two. I've done them in the US. I went to Burma. I went to uh, Australia and Indonesia. So I've been doing these workshops. I run some of them in my studio. I run them in various places in Singapore as well. So during lockdown, I just took all of it out and I started playing with it. And I started printing on handmade paper, which is again something that is not common. Common, yeah, yeah. So. I started with printing on the paper and then I started embroidering on that handmade paper. This is something that I actually started before lockdown for this residency that I did at this printing factory here called NPE. Okay. There is a residency, three month residency program. And we were supposed to do our exhibition in March, but lockdown happened, so that hasn't happened. That just kind of started me playing with uh, handmade paper and embroidery on handmade paper and printing on paper. and creating single edition works because printed printed works are normally multiple editions but these are unique works which cannot be reproduced and even if I do reproduce them they're not exactly the same because they're hand printed. So I did all of that and um, and then I met with the curator actually and he told me he says listen you've been talking about the body and healing for so long in your work but you're always looking at it from your daughter's perspective and looking at how you have been a caregiver but I haven't spoken about my cancer at all in my work. And it's a very hard thing to do. And he kind of, you know, I, I literally, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it was like a light bulb moment saying, why exactly have I not spoken about it in my work? Why am I not addressing that part of my life, which was a, a huge life-changing part of my life? And I haven't addressed it. So then I decided to do that. And I created these self-portrait series, which are actually being shown in the in the show next week. Okay. As a small part of the exhibition, it's not the main part of the exhibition. I created images of myself, and I embroidered on them. I block. I printed them. So I got my block maker to carve out silhouettes of me, in small form, like three inches, four inches, five inches, and I've used that in my work. I have used my own mammograms and my ultrasounds of the breast. And I'm creating works, printed works with embroidery of that, which is the, which is the focus of this show. That's and what up. what is the title of the show? It's called Sharps and Such. Sharps and Such. Yeah, basically talking about the needle because it's been a very very it's life. an integral part it's, of your life. Right? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. So transferring from my daughter to me and back. It, it's what it's what my life is about and it's it's very personal so yeah let's see where it goes and how it's yeah. received yeah. I'm sure it's going to be received well because it, it's your personal journey which you're finally you know sharing and I'm sure there'll be obviously when it's personal then what you put into it is very different from doing it from a commercial point of view right yeah so you've commissioned yourself actually about yourself yeah. in a sense yeah. right absolutely wow. wow that's that's incredible good luck with that thank you and uh, so how many pieces are you or will you be exhibiting so there are a lot actually there are about 39 printed and embroidered works which are small scale and I'm doing a video work as well as a sound work as well as an installation uh, and a tapestry work so they're like yeah different types of types. work okay along mm -hmm. the same theme of sharp yeah. about the breast cancer yeah basically. yeah yeah so yeah it's it's That's for you guys to see I hope you guys come and see it yeah it's only on for 10 days <clears throat> okay it's from the 31st to the 9th 
And then are you planning to take it to India, for example, or not? Are you going to travel with it? I would like to, but yeah. honestly, with the COVID situation and with uh, with just trying to even connect with people, I haven't got there yet. Hmm. Right now, just this much has it's happened all in the last two three months. So, this year has been very packed with just creating. Hmm. So, figuring out where I'm going to take it next is uh, is a long story. Yeah. It's yeah. Actually, I'm yeah. focusing on just getting actually, it out it's, there. It's this whole, uh, despite all the difficulties that everyone's gone through, I think a lot of people have been able to introspect and in fact I've heard a lot of stories where people have you know they've had the time to actually figure out different things and use it to in a in a positive way yeah you know despite the chaos that's happening in the world so yeah actually you know because whatever I had planned for this year I had a couple of shows in the pipeline I had a few proposals I had sent out and things like that you're always constantly looking to show as an artist so I did have three four group shows that all got cancelled or postponed to next year they're all indefinitely postponed so it gives you a lot of time to actually create because as an artist like I said you're always looking to show so you're spending a lot of time even applying for things or you know trying to meet with people where you can show your work and Singapore is quite small that way so I've been focusing a lot the lockdown has actually helped me to connect with people who normally would not have had the time to meet with me and I would not have been able to connect with them because I've always had this well limitation or uh, self-limitation is that I don't go out and meet a lot of people simply don't have the time between my daughter and me and all of that so I choose very very few people to connect with because I don't I can't I, I simply don't have the bandwidth to, to deal with that so it takes away from the creative process and for me if I have like four hours in a day to create or to myself I'd rather spend them in my studio than go out and meet people so it's a it's a it's a it's a balancing act and sometimes I end up doing more in my studio rather than going out and meeting people yeah yeah I mean that's what you're passionate about that yeah, you, you you know that's what an artist is right yeah yeah no fascinating I'm so happy that we got a chance to talk and good luck with I'm not sure if this episode will be out before your exhibition but anyways uh, we'll be in touch and good luck and I'm sure there's a lot of positive things ahead for you thank you so much thanks for inviting me thank you so Nena has faced all adversities with so much courage and determination and just move head with life reinvented herself to be able to do just that she is truly inspiring grateful to her for sharing her story on melting pot with such honesty that's what melting pot is all about hope you've been inspired by sunena look forward to bringing you another heartwarming story until then this is bio signing off up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.